The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Now look with me in Luke chapter 2 and slip down with me to verse 21. We're actually going to, I'm just going to read verse uh, 21 to begin us today. And then we're going to work our way uh, all the way down through uh, chapter 2 and down to, of course, uh, verse 38. Would you look with me, though, in this opening verse, chapter 2, verse 21. Jesus has been born now eight days later. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers... (coughs) The flower fades and the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Thanks for your patience with my voice. I love Christmas and Easter except for lilies and poinsettias. Let me just uh, maybe if I can peel back a little bit and look so you can see in my heart a little bit. I love the Advent season and I love the challenge of how do you come 40-something years, how do you come afresh to the Advent uh, uh, text uh, in a fresh way. And uh, I have to confess this year when the Lord just laid upon my heart, I ran it by elders, I ran it by the staff, I ran it by others to say, hold it, wait, I think something we lose. We, we've got the Old Testament, then there's a blank page, and then we got the New Testament. We don't realize that blank page is 400 years of, of God's declared silence. He's been silent for 400 years. And now... Four Gospels, good news. Now we go from no news to good news. And yet God hadn't been silent about those 400 years. He's given us all the prophecies. You've had empire after empire. He had already given all that in the book of Daniel. He's already told us what's going to happen in Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi and those um, uh, those prophets that preceded the 400 years of silence. Now comes the silence and God in the former days spoke about his son through the prophets and the angels. And in the latter days, he has finally spoken in his son, the redeemer of sinners, the savior of sinners. And but as the silence is broken, he breaks it. Uh, just a little bit at a time, like the cracking of ice, perhaps, uh, as you uh, see that uh, ice cracking, which, by the way, we're getting a chance to do that more than we normally do here in Alabama in the last couple of days. But so he speaks as he did in the Old Testament, not only through prophets, but angels. And he speaks, uh, you probably noticed, uh, arguably, he speaks seven times in the birth narratives about Jesus through angelic messengers from the throne room. The first one we saw was the message to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth 
where the first thing that is said by God is, I'm about to fulfill the last thing you find in the Old Testament. In Malachi, before the day of the Lord, before the coming of the Messiah, I'll send one, a prophet in the spirit and power of Elijah, who will turn the hearts of fathers, the fathers of the faith, to the children, the children of God. Now, does that have implication for homes? Yes, but it's speaking of the family of God. This prophet is going to turn those leaders and fathers of the faith to the children to care for them. It's not about us. It's about what God's doing in their life. And then the children with greater confidence begin to look to the God of glory and grace because of what the fathers, what the, what the father is doing through these fathers. And of course, that's John the Baptist, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They, they, um, the angel Gabriel speaks to them. And then that's followed by the angel Gabriel leaving the temple in the, in Jerusalem and now going up to speak to Mary, telling her, don't fear what I'm about to say. God will sustain you. He'll be with you. And she surrenders to the message that she is the identified, the appointed one who will be used of the Lord to bring forth the virgin conception and will be kept a virgin to give birth to this Savior. And then and then in that same area of Nazareth where the angel Gabriel had spoke to had spoke to um, Mary, he now, he now speaks to uh, the angel. An angel now speaks to Joseph. And he tells him, don't fear what you're called to do. There's the appointed mother. The virgin conceives. You're the adopted father. And some people say he's a stepfather, and I think you can argue that. I just prefer to see God said, no, you're adopted. You're the father. And both you and Mary come through that forgotten, glorious line of kings. You're the heirs of the throne of David. And now I am bringing in fulfillment the king that was promised to take the throne of David, a son of David, and will come through you. And you are the one I have appointed. And then he moves on to speak to the shepherd. An angel moves to speak to the shepherds in the field as they come to the manger. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, a stone cattle trough. And one of the things we noted last week, you know, when we see that thing, how many sermons have I heard? They came and there was no place for them in the guest room of the home that they came to. That's what the word really means. It's not so much a, a, a tavern inn type thing or a hotel. It's really a guest room. Uh, there's a Greek word that's used there that means it's a guest room. And so the guest room was full. You can imagine why with everybody coming for the registration. And uh, so he said, well, the only thing we've got is the underneath the cave, underneath the house, the stable. And uh, that you can go there. And, of course, that's where Jesus goes. And have you ever thought, what if he had been in the guest room? How do you look at the, what all everything you've got to go? What if he, Jesus had been born where you and I would have had him born? Some palace somewhere. My goodness. This isn't just a king. This is king of kings. That's what we would do. But no, the lowly shepherds can walk over. No appointment. No screening. No scanning. You'll find him. There in the trough. There wrapped in swaddling cloths. Accessible to all that we bring to him. Accessible. You can come to him. Can I stop right here? 
you're here today and you've not yet come to Jesus, the accessible Jesus on that day that they could walk right up to praising him and surrendering to him, you can come to him today, right now, this day. And as one of the sons of earth, be raised to a new birth, to be born again. And so we see the angel at work there. But the angel's not through yet, as you, as we read last night, the Christmas Eve service. Uh, the angel's got some more ministries to go. Well, number one is to warn Joseph. The angel comes and warns him to take the baby down to Egypt because of the, of Herod's treachery. And then the angel, after Herod's dead, the angel comes and sends him back up to the hill country of Judea. And then the angel then sends him over to Nazareth because, again, the scriptures are being fulfilled. So we see this angelic ministry and we see the steps of um, that we've been watching. We've looked at four of those angelic ministries. And now we come to a final uh, study in our Advent series, No News to Good News, by looking at an event that takes place. Uh, at an event that takes place. Now, um, here's something else. You know, Luke has done his research. And Luke has come up with this narrative that he gives to us of what happened in the days of the birth of Jesus that Matthew doesn't cover. Uh, Matthew's account accommodates it, but Matthew doesn't cover it. And he gives us some insights. So we, we've got Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. They give us the birth narratives. And I tell you, this year, as never before, I have loved the study of this, uh, working through the chronology, working through the implications, working through the applications of all that is happening. And I kind of just want to end up this morning by summarizing that for you from this last birth narrative. Now, he's not through, Luke's not through dealing with the childhood of Jesus, because we're going we're gonna to have uh, some more at the end of Luke chapter 2, but this is the end of the birth narratives. Uh, that we have in Matthew 1 and 2 and then Luke chapter 1 and 2. And in this birth narrative, notice something. Where did we start in our study? The angel coming to Zechariah where? Hello. In the temple, right? In Jerusalem, right? Where are we ending up? We're going to end up back in the temple. In Jerusalem. When When we started... The angel came to two, and Zechariah was very maritally correct when he said, my wife who is, he said, I'm old, and my wife is advancing in years. He dared dared not use old. And then comes, and now we're going to end up with two godly people. A man I'm absolutely fascinated with, Simeon. And Anna, again, aged, again, aged in between the youthful Mary, in between the likely little bit older than young, middle aged, not approaching middle aged Joseph. You've got this entire spectrum, don't you, of humanity that shows up in these birth narratives. And we start in the temple and we end up in the birth narratives in the temple. And so here we come to this, and chronologically, it's pretty easy to put it together as you work your way through it. But what's interesting to me 
is we start in the temple, we end in the temple. And by the way, we're not through with the temple because Jesus is going to be back here at age 13 and they're going to lose him. He didn't lose them. They lost him. And then later on in Luke chapter 4, he's going to be in the synagogue, as was his custom. Would you please not miss this? Please do not miss this. In the normal course of this family's life, they were always in church. Mary and Joseph, they were in the church, and the church was in their home. You're going to read later in Luke that as was their custom, they were in the synagogue, that he came for the feast every year of his childhood up until the point that he is now declared a man at age 13. It wasn't something, it wasn't like, well, I got this specialty store and I got a doctor and I got a school and I got this. No, the gathering of God's people was built into the life of the family of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And not only that, God's people were in their home. The church was in them and they were in Christ's church as it is being brought forth in its New Testament glory with Christ the head and the foundation of the word of God. But here, you'll notice that on the 21st day, we know something that happens. Jesus has been born. He's eight days old. And they take him and they uh, circumcise him. And they name him as they were directed. Note the obedience. The law of God said that on the eighth day, he was to receive the sign and seal of the covenant. Now, back then, if you were converted to the Lord God of glory as an adult, then the male would have to be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. It did not save you. We know that. Why? Because Abraham is circumcised at what we might call believer circumcision at age uh, in chapter 17, but he's converted back in chapter 15. So we know that it doesn't save. Now, we also know that the sign of the covenant, whether it's circumcision or the one that replaces it, baptism, is not the sign of our faith. The sign of the covenant is God's sign to us of his faithfulness that we receive by faith, that he will fulfill his promises. And so here the covenant sign is placed on the eighth day upon Jesus in obedience to the law. Now what happens? Well, I don't know what happens from this eighth day. But I can now fast forward to you. I can fast forward with you 32 days. Let's fast forward to the 40th day of Jesus' life in this birth narrative as it unfolds. Look with me in Luke 2 and go now from the text that we read into the one that I want to walk you through. Look at verse 22. And when the time came for their underlying Purification, what? Just like circumcision, they're going to be obedient to the law of Moses. According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord. Do you, do you see, do you see Luke's repetition? Everything in the life of Jesus is being directed by the word of God and Mary and Joseph are fearlessly and faithfully 
every step of every day. When the time came, what was the time? The time came for the purification. The time came for the firstborn consecration. Things that were directed in the law of God, just like when the eighth day came. They knew what they were going to do. I don't want to fantasize and romanticize about Joseph and Mary, but I, well, by no means are they perfect. They're sinners saved by grace like everyone else. But there is so much to learn from them. When they woke up on the day, it wasn't, well, what is God doing? And I'll determine what I'm going to do. No, when they wake up every day is what does God's word say for me to do this day? I'm not building my life on my feelings when I get up in the morning. I'm building my life on what does the word of God say to me today? Well, on the eighth day, guess what, Mary? Today's circumcision day. Why? Because the Bible calls us to that. Now, when the time comes, guess what today is, Mary? It's the 40th day. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. It's time for us to take a five-mile walk from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem. Why? Because we got to go to the temple for this. And there's two things that have to happen. The purification of Mary, that is her baptism on the 40th day, and the presentation and consecration of the firstborn who breaks the womb. And that's what the book of Leviticus chapter 12 calls us to do. So that's what we do. And, and Luke gets this point across to you. He keeps saying, according to the law, according to the law of God, God's word is directing the steps of their life. Question for me, I'll also say it out loud so you can ask the question of yourself. Tomorrow morning, what is going to direct your footsteps? The world or the word of God and the spirit of God who sends you into the world by the grace of God for the glory of God. That's what we see in Mary and Joseph. Day came, time came, 40th day. Okay, Mary, we know what the day is. Uh, let's pack a lunch and we're on our way up to the temple. And so they come up to the temple according to the law of God to fulfill the, the, the uh, call and the law in Leviticus. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy of the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Now, stop right there, please. Uh, stop right there. What are, what are they doing? They are obeying the law for the firstborn to be consecrated, to be presented. Why? The echo is going back to Egypt. The Passover, whereby the death of the what? Firstborn, unless the blood was upon the doorpost. And so from then on, God builds the, re- builds the reminder to have life, you have to be redeemed. And so when the firstborn comes forth, you bring them, you consecrate them, you present them and bring the sacrifice of a lamb. Because we have no life as sinners under the judgment of God unless there's a substitutionary sacrifice. Can y'all get this? Well, there's three events here. Circumcision, the Passover, replication, and the sacrifice for the firstborn to be consecrated and presented. And the purification of Mary, her baptism. Yes, that she got baptized on a mountain. I know that's going to present some problems as you think about the issue of water and everything. But I'll I'll solve that for you on an Ask the Pastor sometime, okay? 
She's about to get baptized as described in the scriptures. She's going to be purified. And Jesus is going to be presented. And there's going to be, there's supposed to be a call to have a sacrifice of a lamb. (laughs) Jesus is circumcised. Who is Jesus? He's our circumcision. In obedience to the law that he might be righteous and raised according to the law, he's born of a woman under the law. And he is now in obedience. Yet the one who is being circumcised with these opening drops of blood will go to the cross and it is there he will Cut away, which is what that means. He will cut away our sin record and cancel it at the cross. Christ is our circumcision. The one being circumcised is the one who is our circumcision. And the one who is being consecrated is the lamb. He is the lamb that will take away our sins. But we notice something. Mary and Joseph don't have a lamb. But Leviticus 12, for those who are poor, makes a, um, a, con- a uh, concession. And it's still got to get bring a sacrifice. But instead of a lamb, for those who are poor, they can bring these turtle doves. Look at verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. So they don't have enough money to... They don't have enough money to um, to afford a lamb, but they take advantage of what the law has provided. They can get the turtle doves or the pigeons. Now, folks, here is a bonus. There's a time as pastors when you're preaching that you get a chance to give people a bonus. All right. So remember when we watch nativity scenes and here come the shepherds. Right. And then who comes afterwards? Come on, who comes next? Wise men. And they come up to baby Jesus. There's only a problem with this is I don't think baby Jesus was a little baby Jesus. Now, I understand why we do it. We can't start a nativity scene and wait and wait um, a, a couple of years for the wise men to show up. So we're only got so much time that night. So we're going to put them all in there and we'll pull it together. I understand that. I understand. I'm not being negative or critical about that. I know why we do it. But just so that you know, I don't think they walked up while Jesus is in the stable. Why? Because there's three reasons why I don't believe they have. Now, I believe that the wise men came later. I don't know how much later, but I do believe they came later. And there's three reasons why I believe they came later. Number one, whatever they said as to why they were there to see the king and how they got there, Herod, to cover his bases in his plan to get rid of the king as he does the work of Satan, who tries to destroy the seed of the woman as he is created. This genocide, he raises the he puts the age limit to what two years. So sometime Jesus, he's somewhere between birth and two years. Second thing is when the wise men do get there or these regal visitors, when they do arrive, bringing regal gifts, gold, silver and um, and 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 uh, myrrh. uh, I'm sorry, gold, frankincense and myrrh as they bring those three regal gifts, gifts fit for a king and bring them to him. 
the Matthew says, says they don't come to a stable, they come to a house. Now, I don't know whose house. I don't know if it's a rented house. I don't know if they're in with a relative. I have no idea of any of that, but I do know they're in a house. They're not still in the stable. Right? Are y'all interested in it? I am. And the other reason, I know they didn't come before the 40th day, is when they showed up, guess what? Joseph is not poor anymore. He's got what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Joseph, a righteous man, is not going to walk up to the temple and claim an exemption because I'm poor, because he's not poor anymore. So there, I know this, the, the regal visitors haven't shown up by the 40th day anyway. Because from that day forward, he isn't poor anymore. He can afford a lamb. When you get the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh that's given to you. So this is what it, we've now got this chronology, the eighth day. And now we get to the 40th day. We see three steps of obedience to the law, circumcision and the presentation and consecration with the sacrifice of the firstborn, the reapplication, the redeclaration of the Passover and that saved the firstborn, and then Mary's baptism and purification. Those three steps. But here's where we really get to it. There in the temple, someone is about to meet them. Another recipient of divine revelation. We have no idea how it came to him, but we do know God has spoken to this man. His name is Simeon. And then comes something really uh, life-changing uh, and, and as we understand it. Look with me. Go a step further with Simeon. Who is this guy that they meet? Look at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, guess what? Righteous. Have you heard that before? You heard it about Joseph. You heard it about Zechariah. In other words, this man has a reputation of faithfulness. Doesn't mean he's perfect. But this man has a reputation of integrity and following and committed to Christ, to the Lord of glory. And this man who is committed to God, Simeon, has a reputation of being righteous and devout. That means he's a worshiper. And he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that's drawing on the prophecy of Isaiah. What does Isaiah say about the about the Messiah? You remember the great words? We get them sung during the Messiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, that the Redeemer is many things. And one of the things he is, is a consolation. He's a conqueror. He's going to win the victory over his enemies. And he is a consoler. And Simeon is waiting for the Isaiah prophecy of the Messiah, the consoler, the consolation of Israel, who brings not platitude comfort. He brings divine comfort through the deliverer who will come to redeem us. And so he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now listen, every believer has the Holy Spirit. This is speaking of that special promise that at certain times in ministry and opportunities, the Holy Spirit, this is what I believe the Bible teaches in the anointing of the Spirit for an occasion and an opportunity. He has this special anointing for what he is about. He has been prepared by the presence of the Holy Spirit for this moment. 
And you can see it because he was told by that Holy Spirit and he had, had been revealed to him. He's, he's a recipient of divine revelation in this breaking of silence. It had been spoken unto him that this, um, this man he, that had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, he, like the rest of us, doesn't know the date of his death. But here's what he does know. I won't die until the Messiah gets here. Would you like to know at least when you won't die? Of course, as soon as the Messiah shows up, guess what? <laughs> I better be ready to check out. But he, he is not going to die. Doesn't mean he acts irresponsible. Irresponsible. But he's not going to die until the Messiah comes. He knows that. God has told him that. And so now what does it, and the spirit of God is upon him and that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. The spirit had anointed him that day for this moment. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to there we are again, the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and bless God and said. You know, I just maybe mentioned to you here, I love God's word. I love God's law for its right use. It exposes sin. It reveals sin. It shows our sinfulness, and it sends us to Jesus. But I thank God that he was born under the law, and he has obeyed it perfectly for us. It is not our obedience to the law that saves us. It's his. And it's his sacrifice for us who have disobeyed God's law, whereby we're redeemed. And now this man has been told the Messiah is coming and you won't die until he comes and the Holy Spirit's upon him. And when, when, when the Messiah comes into his presence, he will know it. And what happens? And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and here is the fifth song sung in the narratives of Christ's advent. Here's the fifth one. We've got the song of Elizabeth. We've got the song of Mary. We've got the song of the angels. We've got the songs that were sung in the presence of the shepherds. We have the song of Zechariah. And here is the song of Simeon. And he begins to sing it. We call this, with its Latin, the, the, the words translated into Latin, the opening words, Nunc, Nunc Dimittis. Now, let me depart. Nunc Dimittis. Lord, now, interesting, there are three words for law in your Bible. This is the one used the least. It's the word despotis. Thousands of times we see Lord Kurias, Lord Yahweh. Here, only six or seven times in your Bible, he uses this word, means the master, the one who is in complete sovereign control of my life. Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. For you have prepared that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. The coming of this one is the glory of why Israel had been chosen. Through them would come the Redeemer. The glory of Israel. And what will this Redeemer do? He'll bring the light of salvation to all the nations. To all the Gentiles. Now, he says, I'm ready. Bring me home. Now, Lord, Demidus, dismiss me. Dismiss me into your presence. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon then turns and blesses them and says to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the, don't miss this, this child, because of him, many will fall. And because of him will be the rising of many in Israel. You're going to see it, aren't you? In Nazareth, will there be people who believe in him? Yes. Will there be, will the town run him out? Yes. Rising and falling. In his own home until the resurrection, his brothers and sisters did not believe him. The rising and fall. He is going to mark out those who believe and those who reject. And there is no neutrality. The rising and falling of many in Israel. And he will be a sign. This one that brings salvation is a sign to bring the powers of darkness and rebellion against him. He is a, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Not only will they rise up against him. Can't you imagine this word that he speaks right now that Mary must have remembered 33 years later as she stands in front of that cross and a spear goes into the side of her son. Just think of the sword of pain that goes into her soul and her heart. Salvation is free, but serving the Savior costs. And yet he sustains us. And so he does with Mary. And not only that, we've got another person there. It's Anna. Let me just do this quickly and we'll close in prayer. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, that you got her daddy, and the, of the tribe of Asher, you got the tribe she's a part of, and she is advanced in years. Okay, hold it right here. Um, actually, you may have a translation that says she was great in years. So much for political correctness. I mean, Zechariah was smart. My wife is putting on a few years. Not, not Luke. He says Anna is great in years. Now I think we find out why. Notice what he says. That she is great in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, the, the ESV is chosen to translate in a, a very specific way, but you'll find other translations that translate that this way. Husband seven years from when she was a virgin. That would mean a teenager, a teenager yet unmarried and yet um, and and um, and with no intimacy. And then as a widow until, and then as a widow unto 84 years. 
as some translations have that. Then she did not depart. In other words, how old was she? Well, um, I'm treading where angels don't trod here. But um, I think she was over 100 years old. Because I think that 84 is the years of her widowhood in the original. So she's probably about 15 when she gets married. She's married seven years and widowed for 84 years. That's got her over 100, which would be the kind of language that is being used here of being great in years. And so Anna is there and she did not depart from the temple worshiping and with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him. See that? Worship and evangelism. She gives thanks to God and praise and speaks of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Well, I want to, we want to dismiss by God's grace for you to have a joyful time together with one another. If you don't mind, I'm just going to enumerate these for you. Not only from this text, but in concert with the other texts that we've been studying in the Advent. Let me just give you some couplets that you can walk away with today. And would you, can I give them to you very briefly? Just some things that, that you can download from these various studies that we've been in. Here's the, here's the first one that I want you to see. Infallibility and inerrancy. Infallibility and inerrancy. Last night, I walked you through the seven moves of Joseph before Jesus was four years old. Seven times he moved. And there's two things I tried to get you to see last night. And that's this. Every move was out of obedience to God's word. He wasn't a vagabond. He was a pilgrim. Every move he made was when God directed him with his word. Secondly, every move he made fulfilled a prophecy hundreds of years before. God's word will not fail. God's word is inerrant and it is infallible. The birth narratives, if you take Matthew and you take Luke, the opening two chapters of all the birth narratives, you will find that they point out 12 prophecies fulfilled. In the events that we have been walking through. So number one, God's word is infallible and inerrant. Let me give you another couplet. Here's another couplet. God uses male and female. But by the way, creation says there are males and they are females. It's not the doctor that declares it. It's God that creates us, male and female in his age. And when God works in Man, made in his image, male and female, he gives male and female his spirit and gifts and calling. And here's Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here is Mary and Joseph. Here is Anna. And here is Simeon. God uses male and female. He saves men and women He gifts men and women. He calls men and women. And he uses us the way he has created us and through the redemption that he has provided for us. Number three from these studies. Walk away with this one. He not only uses male and female. He uses old and young. Would you please, um, would you please 
Let's build a culture that appreciates God's blessing upon the aged and rejoices in the opportunities for the young. Let's not get an idolatry of youth, nor let's let's not dismiss our grandparents in their wisdom. God uses old and young. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Anna and Simeon, Mary, Joseph, robust shepherds, robust traveling regal uh, um, ambassadors. He uses his people, old and young. Praise God for that diversity I see here, and I pray it would grow here. Number four, Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. Gentile, the visitors from the east. Jews, the shepherds. The glory of Israel, a light to the nations. Jew and Gentile. Fifthly, don't miss the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man. Sovereignty of God. You're not going to die till you see the Messiah. Well, you don't see Simeon uh, then signing up for um, stupid adventures because I'm not going to die. I'll just go do anything. I'm jump off a building or something. No, the sovereignty of God doesn't lead to a doctrine of fatalism. It is something whereby we make responsible decisions in the spirit of God of how to fulfill God's word, knowing that God's word is for everlasting and God is sovereignly at work in our life. And so you see the sovereignty of God in fulfillment and fulfillment of fulfillment of prophecy. You find, why in the world do you have a Quirinius governor? Because he works for Rome. Why do you have a Rome? Because Daniel said that Assyria would be followed by Babylon and Babylon by the Medo-Persians and the Medo-Persians by the Greeks and the Greeks by the Romans. And 57 years before this, the Romans had come in and now it's time for a registration. And Jesus gets to Bethlehem to fulfill the very word of God that he would be born in Bethlehem. God is sovereign and is at work. And what does Joseph do when he gets the decree? Well, I'm going to obey the magistrates. I'm going to go register. God's using the responsibility of man. And yet God is sovereign over all and in all. So we rest in his sovereign hand and we act according to his word with confidence. He's fulfilling it on us and in us and through us. You see it when Jesus says this, sovereignty of God. I praise thee, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. Yes, you have revealed them to babes. Isn't that glorious? Then the next verse. Come unto me, all of you that are weary and heavy laden. Sovereignty of God and the call to receive and the responsibility of surrendering to Christ. So here is the glorious truth of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And we see it as two threads woven into the fabric of the life of a believer. And then number six, the two marks. Everything we've studied in the Advent, worship and witness. They worshiped and they told others. They worship and they witnessed. Those are the two marks of those who have been laid hold of. I'm, I'm out of time, so I'm not going to do this. Um, what I really wanted to do here, I'm just going to try to maybe get back into it at the beginning of the year. We're looking at our witness this coming year, Project Andrew. Bring them to him. 
bring them to him by bringing him to them. Bringing the gospel to people, being an ambassador of Christ. Folks, would you please join me that we will be clear of the Savior to, and clear to people of your condition without him as we speak truth and love. We've got to love people enough to tell them the truth. And we've got to love the truth enough to tell them we love them. And secondly, could we have in the body of Christ a culture that attracts a world that is in despair, division, polarization, that is in the midst of a death spiral? Could they see something different? And could our lives and our homes not like the world be statements of pride, arrogance, and fortresses, but could they be open doors and empty seats that we bring people through and to to tell them of the love of Christ? Worship and witness. Finally, there's no neutrality with Jesus. Saved and lost. Rising and falling. It's not, well, you know, I'm not a Christian yet, but I'm just kind of suspending judgment. No. Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're, you're not suspended. You're not suspending judgment. Praise God that you're considering. And I pray he moves you to Jesus. But it's not a third category out there. Let me invite you to him. I know this. Unless the Holy Spirit is upon you. You'll just dismiss me. When will this vain babbler be through? But the Holy Spirit's upon you and Jesus comes and is presented to you. You'll be like Simeon. And you'll open your arms and receive him who has opened his arms to give you life evermore. Can't do it without the Holy Spirit. But we brought the word of God today, and the Holy Spirit always shows up with the word. I pray he's giving you eyes to see and ears to hear if you're not in Christ yet. And I pray he gives you the arms to receive him who has spread his arms at the cross to redeem you. And then you can, you know, our Anglican brothers and sisters who are faithful to Christ have a good point. Do you know how they end Sunday evening services? With the song of Simeon. Nunc dimittis. When you come to him, now you're ready to depart. Now I'm ready. Right with God and God right with me. Would you close your eyes and just spend a few moments in personal prayer? Just spend a few moments. Pray and ask the Lord to speak to your heart that the song of Simeon might mark us receiving Christ, praising our God, proclaiming Christ, and now ready to depart for that which is far better. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. 
Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.